Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. We're going to get right to the show after these messages. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, huh? Not quite Mysterious Goings On, listeners. You probably haven't got the brand new Mysterious Goings On official t-shirt. This is a quality, quality cotton t-shirt coming in a premium unisex tee version and a women's slim fit tee version in all the sizes you could possibly need. These are great quality shirts coming in a variety of colors, including dark heather gray, black, charcoal, maroon. And on the women's t-shirt, we come in dark heather gray, black, charcoal, indigo, and midnight navy. There you go. Check them out. They are in the show notes. The link is right there. They're being sold on Bonfire. Uh, They're typically sold in batches, and they'll come at you pretty quickly. All the instructions are on the website. The link is in the show notes here or at mgopod.com. Again, show the world. Well, at least show the world on Zoom or show the world (laughs) when we can finally really get out and about. Show the world that you have some mysterious goings-ons of your own by wearing our t-shirt and help support this show. Thank you so much. The Sopranos was a blend of drama, humor, sex, and betrayal. And it is darkly comic undertones throughout. And it aired from 1999 to around 2007. It was the story of the Italian-American mobster, Tony Soprano, balancing his family life with his role as the leader of a criminal organization pioneering decades of genre bending peak TV right there. Um, and that was t- 20 plus years ago, this thing first debuted. Well, now it's 2021 and it's still one of the hottest shows on TV. HBO reported a 200% increase in viewers. Lockdown has something to do with that, of course. So maybe now's the time for you to watch or rewatch. But when you do that, you got to unleash your inner soprano and relive all your favorite moments with this companion guide to the award-winning television series, The Sopranos. It's all coming your way. It's called Off the Back of a Truck. It's the unofficial contraband for The Sopranos fan, and it takes you one step further into the world of Tony and his family, and it offers an Italian potluck of fresh and fun takes that any true fan could get lost in for hours. And we are so excited to have Nick Braccia here. He is the author of the book. Nick is, my gosh, he is as accomplished as Tony Soprano in so many ways. He's an award-winning writer, director, and producer. He co-created and co-executive produced the horror podcast Video Palace for Shudder, which, by the way, I'm a subscriber. Thank you very much. And he's working on a marketing agency, Campfire. He helped develop immersive narrative experiences for TV shows like Outcast, Sensei, Watchmen, The Man in the High Castle, Westworld, and The Purge. He's a member of the Producers Guild of America, and he's right here on Mysterious Goings On. Welcome, Nick. Well, Alex, thanks for having me. I love uh, I love things both mysterious and goings on. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big mystery, actually, of the show is what happened to the hyphen between goings and on. Oh. But, <laughs> but, you know, what can I do? Uh, what can I do about it? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Nick, I, I got to tell you, I watched, I watched back in the day, I watched, I had HBO, and I think at that time, I probably had HBO specifically to watch The Sopranos, and 
I mean, I loved, I loved all the stuff that kind of led up to that. I liked, you know, uh, I liked uh, Goodfellas and I liked uh, the Scorsese movies and I, I liked the Godfather, you know, of course, all of that stuff. But The Sopranos was different. It, it reached me in a, in a, in a different way. Uh, those other things seemed at a remove, but The Sopranos seemed to be just right here. Like these people could be the next street over. Um, what's your relationship to the show? Yeah, it's um you know, it's funny because I didn't I didn't watch the first season when it aired. I ended up catching up and starting I think in season 3, but it uh the show was released during a a, a real crux in my my life. I was a year or two out of college. I was just starting to live on my own. I'm from the tri-state area where the show takes place. I grew up in in southern Connecticut, um which I know is not Jersey, but um East Coasters will know, people not in the East Coast will know, it's so small around here that the tri-state, and I know there's many tri-state areas in the country, but the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut tri-state area basically works like this. Anybody who's 45 minutes to an hour outside of Manhattan by train or car, it's it's sort of a shared uh, commuter culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's generally, but not always, affluent. Um and you've got little, you've got distinctions between the North Jersey guys and kids, the, you know, the Long Island, um, the the Rockland and Westchester, and then you know where I'm from, a little bit further north. So basically, the length, and also being a, a a third, I guess I'm third generation Italian American immigrant, um, and knowing that story, it resonated in multiple ways. Uh, it. It really, for me, is you know sp- spoke so uh, beautifully to and satirized uh, what I would describe as American and more specifically tri-state area consumerism. Hmm. Um, you know, some of the movie, the the film you mentioned, you know, The Godfather is the real uh, immigrant story tragedy, but it's it's coming in from the very beginning. You know, where right. we see Vito and Godfather two land uh, at Ellis Island and, and get his name. Um, <laughs> And as Tony says, the beginning of the Sopranos, he feels like he's coming in at the end of this thing. And it's for him, you know, it's the end of the, it's the end of the millennium. It's the end of the garbage business, but it's also, I think the end of the immigrant family experience. So in all of those ways um, and through all those lenses, it always appealed and resonated with me. You used a word uh, earlier, and this is something when I read the book that, um, as learned about pop culture as I seem to think I am sometimes. I did not think of this word when I originally saw The Sopranos, but after reading the book, I, I embrace it. And that word is satire. Mm-hmm. I don't think most people think of it that way. They they don't. And it's, I mean, it's a drama and a comedy, but but most of all in there is the the core idea. And this isn't from the first episode to the last episode that, as it's it's very difficult for all humans to change, but specifically Americans, specifically consumerist uh, Americans, um, to get to get off that treadmill, even when a more comfortable or easier or more fulfilling life might just be on the other end of a couple of key decisions. Mm-hmm. There's incredible amounts of resistance to it, and I, I think that's the I think that's one of the great follies of our time, and 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 I think one of the core ideas of the show. 
and I want to get deeper into that in a moment. Mm-hmm. First, let's, I think we should talk about how this book is constructed, first of all. I mean, yes. it's it's not just you. It's you and some pretty brilliant critics and writers and thinkers, and you all weighing in on this. And what I love about this, you do everything from talk about specific episodes to breaking down and rating all 92 murders or deaths, at least, yes. that, that occurred in this series. And, and I got to tell you, Nick, when I first got word of this or got wind of this book, that's what I thought it was going to be. was just that. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that, that sounds fun. Okay. Oh, we'll check it out. And then I get the book and no, 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 it's this treatise <laughs> on, <laughs> on consumerism and, and, and these comparisons that are made that just blew me away. Like comparing the soprano crime family, you know, and the soprano val- family values with Trump family values. There's, there's all these different, uh, very well considered positions on this. And then of course you you also have, which I think is an incredible part of the book is you have this, uh, this breakdown or this discussion, this printed discussion between you and several others about what really happened in the last episode, which we can get to. But mm-hmm. I, I wanted to just get there first with the bones of this. How did you arrive at the structure of the book? Did, did yep. you initially start with just, let's just do the, the murders or did you have this other idea? Let me know how that, how'd that go? Yeah, it, um, you know it's funny because in my in my my day job, I'm in. I'm a, I came up as a copywriter and creative director, and I'm often in what I would call production. Like how how is this idea that we've sold in going to come to life? And this book uh, was an opportunity that came to me while I was working a full time job. It happened. Um, you know, it's funny. In, in the late '90s, I was working at Simon and Schuster. Uh, which is now my publisher, and um, as an international sales associate for you know for Peanuts, my very first job, and uh, <laughs> I was up at a meeting at HBO one day, and I guess wait, it's 2021 now. It would have been in early 2019. Um, I was up at HBO for a meeting about Watchmen, and at the time before they moved, HBO corporate moved to Hudson Yards. They were in Bryant Park, um, so. That's, that's near 6th Avenue and 42nd Street in New York, right down the street from Simon & Schuster, which is up on 49th. My office was in Tribeca, and I'm like, I really don't want to go back down to the office. So I called uh, a buddy of mine, uh, uh, Sam Ford, who I've known for quite a while, who worked uh, works at, at, at Tiller Press, and said, hey, I'd love to, to finish my work and just, just use your internet. Can I just like camp out in your office? Um, so he let me do that. And I had been up there before, but I, in that visit, ended up in a extended conversation uh, with the publisher of Tiller Press, Teresa Damasi, just by happenstance, and started riffing uh, ideas for books for fun. They were just, you know, I was talking to them. They were picking my brain a little bit about um, where I thought there were, because I am a marketer, where I thought there were opportunities. And we started talking about peak TV and then the conversation turned to the Sopranos and she lit up and I lit up and we talked about the Sopranos for, you know, for an hour or so Uh, her children had gone, I believe had gone to school or the same school uh, with James Gandolfini's son. So she had been friendly, uh, friendly with with Gandolfini, um, you know, during that time. And we, so we just had this great, this great conversation. And at some point I said, you know, there's, you know, there's the movie coming out, The Many Saints of Newark, because um, it had been announced at that point. And we just kind of left it at that. And I thought I'd left them with an interesting idea for a book and I didn't think anything more of it. Um, a couple of weeks, months later, I guess, I get an email and says, do you want to come back up to, dis- to discuss uh, 
the Sopranos book. I'm like, what Sopranos book? And <laughs> I had a, I, I riffed with them about what the book could be. And the next day, um, I, you know, I, I, this was, this had become real. Um, now the reason I bring all that up and, and to tie it back to me thinking in terms of production, hmm. um, the timeline wasn't crazy aggressive, but it was aggressive enough that I was concerned about whether or not I could take the load of the entire book on my own. But I also thought this is a potentially a once in a lifetime opportunity. I've got uh, many close friends, some I've known for a quarter century in real life who are very close to me and very brilliant. And in the case of like Steve Weinberg, who I consider the godfather of this book, no pun intended, uh, was my mentor and, and teacher and remains a close friend. I was like, how about, you know, why don't I write, why don't I basically conceive of this book as a party as the most, and I host it and I write, I, you know, I can write half of it or two thirds of it or whatever, but all the pressure won't be on me. And people won't get sick of my voice because hopefully because I, I can invite this eclectic group of a dozen, a dozen people. And at first there were ideas like, Oh, who are we going to get? We're going to get Anthony Scaramucci. We're going to get Michael Imperial. We're, you know, we had all these like crazy ideas. And then it's like, now let me write this with, with people that I can reach out to that. I know there's not a lot of money involved um, and make it a real, like, seriously, these are the people I would call if I was throwing an invite, if I was having a Sopranos party. Um, some I've, I've known on social media and have just read their work for years and others are people I'm very close with. Um, so that's, that was like, you know, it was by design. I thought it would make it more interesting. And just from a, 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 a realistic production standpoint, I could, I could produce and edit this book as well as write it, um, which will provide some balance all around. Um, so that's, that's how, you know, it kind of, the, the, it was conceived by both design and necessity, I guess. is the <laughs> Well, and, and it, it's a, I've got the hardback and it's a, it's a handsome volume. There's a, there's great art on the cover. We'll, we'll have the, uh, we'll have the cover art in the show notes folks at mgopod.com along with links to where you can pick it up. But um, there's, there's really nice design. I think of the book now I'm not a graphic designer. I'm a writer, but I mean, I looked at it and when I flipped through it, it when you get to, you get to the, the, the 92 deaths, there's some blood splatter on the yes. page and stuff like there's fun stuff like that. That's really good, but it's, it's a, it's a beautiful beautiful deal and it's tongue-in-cheek too you know off the back of a truck unofficial contraband for the sopranos fan and and it's nick bracha and some friends of ours you know so it's 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 kind of i like i like the way it's yeah i tried to have have a (laughs) sense of humor i tried to approach any everything with a sense of humor and the show the show is hilarious and the fans are hilarious um and it's like how can we you know, I didn't, I didn't want this tome to be too, too scholarly, right? but I also wanted to bring some heavy hitting. I wanted to write things about the show and, and notice things about the show that, um, that no one's ever done before. That was and, really important to me because there's been so much written. Absolutely. And you did. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'll tell you, there's another point where I had some jaw drop going on here. Um, I, and I know that I'm not the only one who loved this show pre you know but you talk about influences in previous shows and when you're talking about the sunny steel grave arc of wise Guy, ah. <laughs> dude i i think we're about the same age i just flipped but I, I there's like only a few pages of that but i really wanted to like it really explore that a little deeper because i'll, but, I'll send you the longer version of that essay because i lost do. it got cut down i got to go back to the original i i lost about 30 to 40 percent of it um 
in edits because we had to get to like a page number and all this stuff about actually how the the sunny how the sunny Seagrave character informed not just tony but also christopher yes um, and yeah, but but God, how good of a show is Wise Guy? Oh my God! <laughs> I mean, I mean, even when it got really weird in, in later seasons, you know, oh. it, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But but it, it still yeah. held together so well. But this the whole thing, folks. If you're not a, a Wise Guy viewer, I believe if you get on certain platforms now, there's like whole channels devoted to it. But uh, uh, I think it was. Uh, uh on stir they had a channel they still do for just wise guy and man i was flipping through there one day and there's boom there's sunny Steelgrave, and i am flipping out you know ray sharkey the late ray sharkey really embodied that role so well and i thought he was every bit as charismatic as gondolfini was in in uh, in uh, sopranos so so i i love that you even talk about the rockford files because david chase had mm -hmm. he and he there's all these little easter eggs he's drops in yes. from his previous stuff you get into that it's it's fantastic stuff so uh, in the time we have left i'd like to just kind of fire a few questions at you though um what what, what is the, what is the greatest episode what is the one that you just say if, if, if you're going to hang your hat on one episode what's the one you pick Yep. And I mean, like everyone loves the Pine Barrens and it's beautiful. Steve Buscemi did a great idea, did a great job uh, with it. And it's so funny. And Whitecaps has such tremendous acting. Um, that's really the height of the Gandolfini, Edie Falco uh, arc and their perform their performances. It, it's uh, and Steve Weinberg writes about that in his, his essay on method acting. But for me, it's the episode that I chose to write about um, in the, in the favorite episodes chapter of the book, which is from season five. It's the Michael Imperioli written episode, Marco Polo. Um, and it's because for me, so much of the angst and the anxiety and the anger uh, in the show comes from keeping up with the Joneses. It comes yeah. from class distinction. Um, in that episode, I, you know, I, I, but I, I often joke and I make a joke about Gosford Park and Goomba Park in the essay, which was actually quote, which was something Scott Van Doviak, who's a contributor to the book, uh, originally uh, said to me and told me I could, <laughs> told me I could borrow it. But um, I, I joke that in, in North Jersey and in America, there's it's not as clean as Downton Abbey, where you got your upstairs and you got your downstairs. It's it, it's not like that. And, it, and it, there's all this residual tension. Um, and just just grief and anger uh, that comes out of it and it's all so it comes together in this episode for listeners the the conceit of this episode is that there's a surprise birthday party for Carmela's father who's either turning 70 or 75 I, I can't remember so they host the party in the backyard and Tony is going to be co-host his Kim and Carmela are separated at the time but his father-in-law uh, loves him so much so but at this party um, you, you've got the real a real mix. You've got some uh, I would call them uppity uh, Italians, more northern Italians who um, kind of hold their nose up at Tony and his mother-in-law who just kisses their ass unapologetically. Um, you've got the the wonderful character of Tony Blundetto, uh, the cousin of Tony Soprano, uh, who's a really sweet guy who's who's trying to walk the right path yeah. um but he's he sees what his cousin has he feels like the lesser tony um and he's only able to to take it for so long and you see his his cousin and his mother sitting around at this party um kind of like must be nice to have money you know there there's all of this um 
And it's, it's just, it's beautifully directed so that you don't, every single look, every glance that people give one another, all of the thoughts and all of us who have been at any party, oh yeah, any family party, any generational party, anyone where there's members of a family who are struggling financially versus others who are in, you know, in the catbird seat. Um, it's also familiar and it's played, it's just as, it's this beautiful ballet of class tension. Um, and it, and the crescendo is that Tony Blundetto reaches a point where he feels so bad about that his children want to spend more time with their with their rich cousins and less time with him uh, that that it breaks his heart and puts him over the edge. So he then starts, um, you know, committing murder for hire. Uh, that you know leads to leads to his own fate. So it's it, for me that just a. Uh, a, a great a great episode that gets at the, the crux of what the show is mostly about uh, absolutely and yeah you know, the whole the whole thing of the keeping up with the joneses too within the confines of a crime family is just a fascinating observation i mean you see a lot of it one of my favorite arcs is the cleaver arc uh, oh yeah you know it and but when the, there's a great episode where sir ben kingsley Mm -hmm. who who riffs on him being i don't you know i don't know sir ben King, i don't know if that's him riffing on himself or whatever you know what i mean but the point being that all christopher and his friend can do is just be agog at the uh uh what is it i forgot what they call it the room it's the room celebrities go and all the the brands like give you a role yeah it's just the swag it just yeah it's swag, the swag yeah and he and he's just it's just like he's beguiled by this room you know sir ben yo sir ben i want that how much is that i wonder you know and it's you watch it and it's painful and and kingsley's so good because you can see it in his eyes this uh, revulsion a little bit i think oh yeah for, for how crass you know, uh, it is, but but to me, that was probably a little more in your face, more writ large uh, about the points you're making about the consumerism and the keeping up. Yeah, I mean, those guys are, and also they're just, they're, hus they're hustlers. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much money they've got. They're always, they're always, you know, it doesn't matter how good Christopher's car is. It doesn't matter how good, uh, how big little Carmine's, you know, house on the Hamptons is. They are, they are going to be crass hustlers. Yeah. I mean, and Tony always wants a taste. Doesn't matter. Like the, a case of wine or whatever. He always wants a taste. You know, you got to bring always. him tribute or a gift or whatever all the time. That's something you see. Uh, all The Godfather, they pass uh, the tray around at the meeting, I believe. You know, I don't know if that's the mm -hmm. exact same thing, but people pick a, a ring off there and those are things. Um, so I, I saw that, but, but I got to tell you, Nick, I just never completely put those glasses on so to speak when i watched it the way mm -hmm. you've done here and the way you've illuminated this um what do you think though uh what what do you think where does the sopranos i mean it's incredible that here we are 21 years after it first aired okay after it first aired not mm -hmm. after it ended uh it's 200 percent increase in views i watch i rewatched um, the last three years of it in march and april because i just love those last but but mm -hmm. Where do you think it is in the pantheon of crime uh, programming and, and stuff like that? Where does it fit in, in your opinion? I mean, it, from a television perspective, I think it's the greatest. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a different kind of achievement unfolding over, you know, seven years and being very, um, you know, very novelistic um, in its detail and in its tone shifts versus The Godfather, which is a real saga or, you know, or family epic. Um, which is told over just, I mean, even though it's, it's so wonderful, it's not, I'm not counting part three. It's, you know, we're talking about six hours um, of TV versus 86. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the Sopranos changed 
um, it changed everything uh, around crime, uh, around crime drama. Um, it sort of ended it with respect to, uh, I mean, how many, how many hit mob Italian American uh, TV shows and movies have there been? Not since it came out, not many. What we're seeing is a proliferation of really interesting international stuff. Um, the gangster genre, you know, you've got your stuff like Narcos. There was a, a wonderful pair of movies out of uh, Brazil called, oh, was it, is that the Elite Squad movies? I think those were, those were re really, really good. Um, you've got Gamora um, in the, the Marco Bellocchio movie about the Sicilian mob uh, Trader, which was just out last year, which I highly recommend. It's on Stars right now. So you're seeing... Um, it's almost like the crime genre has expanded into inter, in, uh, international, uh, multilingual, um, in, in, into that much more uh, dispersed, uh, not disorganized, but rather, uh, uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, oh, it's just decentralized. decentralized. I feel like the notion. I feel like the idea of the crime family has been heavily decentralized. Um, so. It's, I almost feel like, you know, when Tony, again, when Tony Soprano says, I feel like I'm coming in at the end of this thing, it's the, it's the millennium, it's the garbage business, it's the immigrant experience, and it's, and it's the Italian mob movie genre. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is, and it's speaking of the end of this thing, we got to go there before we go. Uh, I, 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 folks, if you don't know how the series ends, you might want to plug your ears or just go watch the whole series and then come back to this moment. <laughs> but, but the ending is so controversial and I'll, yeah. I'll never forget being in my, my basement watching it, you know, and it just goes to black. And I did like most people, I like, what the, no, no, he can't know. Cause I just thought the cable went out. Yeah. Uh, of course, of course now. So there's this great uh, discussion at the end about everybody asking, do you think Tony lived? Do you think he died? What happened? All this stuff. And it's, the the perspectives are to me just just beautiful perspectives and they're real well thought out well considered down to the diagram of the restroom where the gun might have I been took, yeah i went I, I went in there i went in there and uh <laughs> took some pictures at holston's to uh figure out what was what was actually what would actually be possible did you um, have some onion rings while you were there i, I mean, did i did have <gasps> some onion rings while i was there it was i went uh the, i went during sopranos con I did a little pilgrimage uh, over there, and it was—it's quite a nice, fun little ice cream parlor uh, and restaurant. The uh, <laughs> and that chapter, just you know, that chapter was originally about five times. That conversation was five times longer than what's oh, in the I book. Bet. Also, I bet. it was really, really long and and quite uh, quite deep. Uh, well, do you want to do you, do you want to say what you think about? Oh, uh, sure. Um, I, I believe that um, in Mark Delello in his essay on uh, he's both in the Marks in the conversation, uh, along with Fred Gordeffi, Hannah McGill from Scotland, Scott Vandoviak, Phil Dice Nugent, Andy Cambria, um, we're all having that uh, that chat. But Mark uh, makes a real case filmically through editing and cinematography around themes that appear in the show uh, for Tony being definitively killed in that last scene. Um, I tend I tend to agree, and I think even if you look at the episode um, and the episodes before it, there's enough clues there that, uh, I mean, one of the things I like to note is that it starts with the Vanilla Fudge's song, uh, You Keep Me Hanging On, and it it's, it's almost has this funerary organ-like opening to it, and that cuts out before the lyrics start. But if the lyrics kept going, they would say, set me free, why don't you, babe? Which is what I think Tony wants at that point. I um, do too. 
but you know bobby's gone that that was his fault silvio's gone his um his allies uh his allies are few his fam you know there's this uh, one thing i read about that got cut was um there's a song and aj and his girlfriend uh uh rhiannon that's the fleetwood mac song Re- yeah. rhiannon rhiannon or rhiannon yeah, yeah. are um you know, are watching this like goofy video on TV, but the song's called Lifeboat Party. And I'm like, that's what the core four of the Sopranos family are at yeah. that episode. They're in, they're in a lifeboat. They are, they don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. And, and I feel like there's, when Tony goes to uh, see Junior and he, he has this kind of Ozymandias moment yeah. um, where he says, you and my dad, you built, you, you ran North Jersey and Junior doesn't give a shit. He was like, oh, we did. He's got full-blown dementia. Yeah. And at that moment, Tony kind of realizes it's everything he's done is kind of for nothing. And that's the scene right before, uh, right before he walks in. And then you get this in Holston's, I, there's so many interesting things going on. Yeah. If you look at the names of the songs, they reference his sins of the past. There's also two big murals in the back and one's got like a football player on it. That's not the real mural that's in Holston's. They put that there. And it's, so it's a little bit of this is your life because Tony obviously, you know, never had the makings of a varsity athlete, but he did, he was a high school football player. That's how he knew Davey, Davey Scatino. So it's all surrounding him and swimming around him. So I think that, um, and he's made his decision. We see the circular onion rings. We see the circles of, uh meadows tire spinning yeah got, uh the jupe the journey song saying uh you know it goes on and on and on and on he's either yeah. dead spiritually and gonna and has committed after his whole Ke- kevin finnerty situation where he, he had a chance to choose to walk a different path and didn't he's either going in the he's either you know riding the circles of the onion rings for the rest of his days or, or he's getting it in that moment I believe he catches it in that moment and that he's killed, but it's almost irrelevant because he's got no one and is spiritually dead at that point. Anyway, there's no turning back. So that's, I I guess I do think he's dead, but I also think it kind of doesn't matter because he's dead. (laughs) I, I, I think I, I, I agree. Um, Although I, I had not of course thought through all of the the wonderful insights you just made there. Uh, I had two things on that though. Um, Uh, and I, this was written in the book it was like uh, someone says i'm sorry i don't remember who says but they say yeah and it goes to black and it's and there's no sound because you don't hear it when it happens or yep. something like that you're, you're, exactly, you're yeah shot. you're shot you're dead you're gone he this is tony boom he's gone but i wanted to ask you this and this may be just a really dumb question but that's oh, okay is what does it mean though that meadow is still outside I mean, he can see her from where he's seated, but she's not actually. Did she come in before it happened? She sits down. Um, she's a. She didn't sit down. She's she's just she's just walked. He's looking up to see her come in. Right. Um, That's right. And then so then, but does that mean something that she's not seated with the family, or is that way too much reason? I I just think that it means his eyes are his eyes are on the door, not where they should be. Um, he's. Ex- I mean, he's exposed. He's exposed yeah. because he still has his eyes on that, the core four, the family. And uh, I think it was just, it, I mean, it's a great, it was a great technique to create suspense. Yeah. Um, but oh, it was a t- the it's parking also, job. And all that. Yeah. yeah. It's also, a, it's also a distract. It's, it's somewhere yeah. for him to keep his eyes. And it was misdirection um, for us too, though, I think as, as yes. viewers, oh, definitely. For the constant with the car, you can't parallel park. And, and that you're just like you said, and you're tense and you're watching it, you know, but that's, 
that's not really where your eyes should be technically, but that's where they're showing you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, just a couple more things real quick is um, uh, Melfi. Uh, yes. Where do you, what, what's your thoughts on her wrapping it up? What do you think she is with this? Uh, any thoughts on I, her? I tend to agree with, with uh, uh, a uh, insight that Steve Beinberg had or his perspective on this, which is that, dramatically after season two there's not a lot for melfi to do after the things the stuff with tony, the arc with tony and his mom concludes but yeah what i think is still interesting periodically um and there there are some some good moments uh with melfi like when she when she's attacked and she yeah. wants to sick tony on the guy but doesn't um but i i love how we see that not not only does she is she not able to make real progress with tony but she makes him a more effective boss and a more effective killer. There's a chilling moment where she tries to make an excuse for Christopher after the Cleaver situation, after Tony, you know, Tony understands that, that, that um, the subtext of Cleaver was about Christopher and Christopher's frustrations with Tony around Adriana and Adriana's uh, demise. And uh, he, he says to, to Melfi, I've learned too much about the subconscious in here. And that's the moment I think where he decides that, you know, uh, Christopher's, you know, not long for this world. It's, uh, it's going to be, you know, the, how and when it happens is a matter of circumstance. Um, but it's at that moment that like, there isn't going to be any coming back, uh, any coming back for Christopher. Um, and it's because of things that Tony's learned sitting on that, you know, sitting in that chair. Yeah, and that's that that observation creeped me out. So it's oh, such a good chilling. observation. Very oh chilling. my god! Yeah, and yeah, is that why? By, by the way, you made a good point about is that you know Melfi didn't have a hell of a lot to do because unfortunately Livia died. Kind of nobody. Mm -hmm. Nancy Marchand died. That's why yeah. she's out. But um, is that why they brought Peter Bogdanovich in? Um, I don't know why they brought him in. Aside from you know maybe just having him having him around. Uh, <laughs> I like I like Bogsy. He's a I think he's good. I think he's good on the show. I think he's pretty probably playing himself. Um, but I, it's funny. I almost I almost evoked him uh, early on because with all creative stuff and like with this like with the situation of this book with me giving an opportunity, a timeline, what I want to you know a, a chance to do this with my friends. I think of the the Bogdanovich movie Targets a lot, where oh, yeah. Roger oh, yeah. Roger Corman was said, and this isn't going to be exactly right, but Roger Corman basically said, yeah, you got. I'm making this up. Uh, 20 grand uh, a week. Uh, Borlas Karloff owes me two days of work. Two so days of work. For free. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's got to be about something ripped from the headlines. Go. And then Bogdanovich had to figure it out. Like, I'm a, I, I'm a big fan of um, the, like, real creative production tends to be, all right, what's in the fridge that isn't expired? What can you make? Yeah. It's just the realities of it. I'm more of a, I'm more comfortable writing from scratch than in production. But getting stuff done goes to the way that Bogdanovich approached that movie and how Roger Corman pushed people to get things done. Here's the ingredients. Get you know, figure out figure out the proportions. <laughs> I, I, I did you by any chance listen to the uh, uh, Mankiewicz, Ben Mankiewicz podcast with with Peter Bogdanovich? No, it's no. Like, you've got. A, I mean, if you like this guy, I mean, you've got. It's it's like seven to ten episodes. It's it's in depth. But what's great is they include some of Bogdanovich's recordings when he interviewed like john wayne 
and mm. I mean this and 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 Howard Hawks and I mean this is from I'm a film nut obviously I couldn't believe it. anyway I, I'm sorry to get off track on that oh, um but it's great isn't it? I mean uh, it's just great I it's just funny I can say Peter Bogdanovich to someone who doesn't go huh anyway um I, yeah i love his work too and I, I totally agree um and he talks a lot about targets in one episode too so i that story oh, cool. is, is is very is very cool um but as we're as we're wrapping there i just wanted to kind of follow that up but i think this is a marvelous book i wish we had more time but i uh, how do we get this this here book where do you where do hey, you find hey, it's it? uh wherever fine books are sold it's on a it, they've got a site on I have a page on Simon and Schuster that shows several yeah. retailers. It's not just it's bit bit uh, dot ly slash Sopranos book, but you can find it any indie bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon. Um, it's got it, they're giving it pretty good distribution. I was expecting the movie to come out in two months, during which there was going to be a, another promotional push. But the for the second time, the movie's been delayed. It's now coming out um, September twenty fourth. Ah, okay. the Many Saints of Newark. So I'll be you know, I'll be around uh, pushing <laughs> pushing this thing for the next for the next ten months. I'd love to park a truck in Little Italy and give away a bunch of copies, but I'm trying oh, to figure yeah. out how to swing that. That's um, a great marketing. But idea. yeah, pick you know, pick it up, leave a review. People, let me know what you know what they what they think. It was a, it listen. This was a a bucket list project for me. I love The Sopranos. I I love writing. I love the people that I collaborated with, and for me, more than anything, it's a uh, an example of like, you know, I'm in a month, I'll be 45 years old. We're not, uh, you, you get opportunities. There's things that you want to do, right. uh, do them. It was fun. It was difficult, but it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. And, um, I, I learned, I, I had, I loved the show beforehand. I had watched the whole thing through maybe three, three or four times. It's like the, what I love talking about, uh, specifically is the, the Ralph Cifaretto essay that I wrote in the death chapter. Cause the death chapter is the only chapter I wrote completely by myself. Those 92, uh, those 92 deaths. And um, I had watched that episode four or five times. Then I watched it a sixth time and it was, it unlocked things uh, that David Chase, I believe was doing in there that had never occurred to me before. So this it's, it's the show is really the, a gift that, uh, that keeps on giving. And there's, there's just so much to enjoy. It's so rich. If I go back and watch it again, I'm absolutely positive. I could write another book and never say the same thing twice. Holy cow. Well, that might be pushing it, but. (laughs) You you might want to try. I mean, I'm telling you folks, you got to get this book. It's great. And if, even if you're not in the Sopranos, you probably know somebody who is, it's never too early to shop for Christmas. There'll be links in the show notes. I mean, it's as tasty as a gabagool. Gabagool with extra Gabagool. peppers. Gabagool <laughs> with an extra peppers, and and uh, you got to get that. Um, uh, but check the show notes at mgopod.com for all this. Nick Bracha, I I could go on with you. I think it's just brilliant. I've got to I've got to get on your your podcast, your 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 Video Palace Pod. Uh, is oh, well, the Video Palace was was fiction. That was a ten episode uh, oh. fiction podcast on Shutter. Um, it's it's also a book uh, that came out in October called Video Palace and Search of the Eyeless Man. That one I mostly edited and wrote some. It's it's billed as being written by Maynard Wills, but Maynard Wills is a a fictional character uh, that we created in the Video Palace world. It's this. Uh, I did it with my my creative partner Mike Mike Manello, who um, is one of the guys that uh, made the Blair Witch Project in a long time. Oh, I've been working with Mike yeah. on and off for almost a decade. Um, so Video Palace is kind of a I describe it as like Stranger Things meets Serial. Uh, kind of uh, podcast. Uh, check it out on Shutter, though. I think you'll dig it. And then the subsequent book uh, was a project we put together this year, um, pulling in a bunch of great, uh, great horror writers um, to give their spin on our mythos. 
was there there was a special on Shutter about various horror uh, scenes or was it right? I, my gosh, I, I'm blanking on this. I, I, I'm wondering if you were in. Did you, did you appear in a, a documentary or was I have not? I watch a lot of them and uh, I watched Cursed, which is terrific about movies where bad things happen. There's, yes, there that's is what one it is. where oh, Cursed is great. There's some other stuff that I, I feel like one of our Video Palace collaborators, Graham Skipper who's an actor, director, and writer, appeared in. And Graham and I actually look quite a bit alike. I shaved today because usually both he and I have a beard. Um, so it might have been him. Uh, okay, yeah. But, uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> he's, seriously. He's a, he's a brother from another mother. Really, one, you know, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, uh, what was I going, what was I? Oh, so, and then I've got, I do this MMA co- podcast because I'm a UFC nut. Um, but I'd love to, so I'm not hosting anything pop culture centric or writer centric right now. Um, but I'm ha- I mean, any, any, I'm happy to chat anytime. <laughs> I obviously love talking about this stuff. <laughs> it so, sounds great. Um, it sounds great. Well, I'm going to, I'm not going to lose your number then, you know? I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah. Hang out. You know, happy, you know. to, happy to be on, uh, be on whenever. And I'm, I'll send you, I'll see if I could dig up both. Um, cause I actually haven't looked at them in probably a year and a half. I'll look at the extended, uh, or original cut of, uh, of the wise guy, uh, oh, essay, yeah. which was definitely, you'll doubt it's definitely more raw and unsp- a little sprawling. And I'll also see if I can if I can dig up the original um, or the long version of the uh, uh, of the last chapter. Those may get released in some other format someday. So just keep them, you know, keep them on the DL. Oh, absolutely, but, I, would, uh, I would be honored. I haven't, yeah. I haven't I haven't actually shared either of those things with anybody yet. So I'll uh-huh. uh, I'll gra- I'll pull those out. Um, and uh, so as long as I could find them in a Google Doc somewhere. Well, I was going to um, say, you, you, it's the first guy who's mentioned Sonny Steelgrave apparently to you lately. Oh yeah, right? I love so, Sonny. So, yeah, Sonny, so Sonny so, I caught on to West with Wise Guy late. Weinberg got me into that also. And it's just like that performance. It's funny. I was just watching an, episode, an early episode of Barney Miller where he where's, where, uh, where Ray Sharkey shows up. Um, but And then The Idol Maker, you know, this terrific oh, yeah. movie he's in with oh, Peter yeah. Gallagher. Yeah. Uh, what a, yeah. What a, what a talent, uh, yeah. gone, gone, you know, pro- had some demons gone way too soon. Yeah. Um, but geez, what it's, uh, and the point I try to make in the book is that, you know, Gandolfini, like Gandolfini's performance is singular, but Ray Sharkey was, was a mo- was an emotion, the first truly emotionally vulnerable mob boss, Michael Corleone. He, he, there were times when he was certainly hurt, but he was, he, we never saw Michael shaken. We saw him angry. Yeah. Um, there, I don't think, I think, I, I, I think that, uh, that what Ray Sharkey did was, was really special and that, that nothing had happened, uh, quite like that before. Not, not at all. So the, folks, you've got, you've got plenty of stuff here to dig into here. Not the least of which again, though, get into, get into wise guy, the first season, um, nights and white said, and by the way, there's a yeah. uh, second season you got. You got uh, you got a lot you got a lot of actors you may recognize, uh, but uh, anyway, there's a lot of them who got their start on that show, and it's fantastic. But not the least of which, get off the back of a truck, unofficial contraband for the Sopranos fan Nick Bracci and some friends of ours. Nick, you've honored us so much. Thanks for appearing on Mysterious oh, Going I'm, I'm humbled. Thank you, thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's a pleasure talking. Uh, we could we could go on for four or five hours if you had the time. I didn't, and I didn't have a bunch of copywriting to do. <laughs> I, I think that's about right, my brother. Hey, all right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, Alex. Hey, folks. We're going to take a quick break in the episode. I probably mentioned here and there that I have another podcast called PR 
After Hours. PR After Hours is basically an after hours virtual lounge where public relations, marketing, and general business professionals get together and have a laid back conversation about what they do and how we can help each other. It's great tips if you're running a business or if you're part of a PR or marketing team or you own your own business. I guarantee you'll learn a lot of stuff. It's a twice weekly show. We've been doing it for a year now. Very proud of it. And you can get it right here on Anchor FM or pretty much wherever you get quality podcasts. But if you want to learn more information about PR After Hours, please visit PRAfterHours.com. I hope you'll check it out. It's a little bit different vibe, obviously, than Mysterious Goings On, but also... I think, you you know, if you're not careful, you might learn something and have a laugh or two as well. Thanks so much. Again, that's PR After Hours on Anchor FM. Thanks so much for listening to Mysterious Goings On. Don't forget we have a complete archive of all of our interviews, monologues, updates, live readings, dead readings. All of that stuff is available at MGOPod.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual suspects. Please join us there. Again, don't forget, MGOPod.com also has links where to find me on social media and how to get in touch in case you want to be a guest here on the show. Well, I think it's time that I move on for this week, but until next time, keep reading.